It's great to see you guys again. As we have been uh, praying for our nation, we've been asking um, for God to work in our midst as a nation with uh, the hurricanes that have occurred both in Houston and Florida. And we can't forget the devastation that's happened in Puerto Rico and as well as Mexico. There's been some tragic events that have occurred in the last three or four weeks. And so one of the things that we want to keep in mind is that we have to keep praying for our nation. Pray for our president, for the administration, for FEMA, for working through. Because what we're finding out is that it's not going to take one or two months or three months. It's going to take at least a year for people to get back on their feet. And so we want to be encouraging ourselves to pray not only for our church but for the nation abroad so let's keep our nation in prayer as well as our church and uh, to keep ourselves focused on what is necessary in reference to our lives corporately as a church I would encourage you to continue to be praying for our leaders to be praying for the people not praying that we would get more programs (laughs) not praying that we would fill spots praying that hearts would be changed. We've got to deal with this first before we see the, la- the, the, the programs being filled later, which we're not really going to be program-driven. We're going to be purpose-driven. So it's important for us to keep in mind to be praying for that because we just don't want God to fill spots when there are wounds. You just don't want to dress it with a Band-Aid. You've got to do more than that. It's got to be cleaned out. And it's got to be dressed properly. The same thing with our church. And so I want to make sure that we're keeping that in mind as we move forward. That God wants to do a cool work in our church. And so we have to be mindful of prayer. So let's take a moment as the men are coming forward. I want to take us to prayer and um, to ask God to intervene on our behalf. Father, thank you for being God. Thank you for creating us and for allowing us the opportunity to see that you want to do a work in each one of us. Our nation is suffering through tragic events. The folks out there in Houston and Florida are struggling just to find a place to stay, food, a home that they can rebuild. There's something about settling. And Lord, these folks are going to take a long time before they can call home, home again. We are blessed in this area. And we are blessed to be able to call a place called home. And so, Lord, we pray for the church, for the people to be mobilized, for the White House, for the president, for FEMA, that you would give them the necessary people to work forward and to get the resources that we need in order to help not only Florida and Houston, but also to assist other countries like Puerto Rico or Mexico. That, God, we would be a gracious, loving nation that would be able to extend our hands out to those who are in need. And, Lord, we pray for our church that you would continue to move in our midst, that, Lord, you would challenge us and help us to see that you desire to do a work in us. But before we could move forward... You want to show us some things in our lives, individually and also corporately. 
And you want to show us, Lord God, because you're interested in us and you want to bless us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be vulnerable and transparent this morning as we reflect later into our gathering a time of confession. I pray that there would not be folks who would hold back but be open to you to do a work. So, God, we are excited about what you're already going to do and excited about the work that you're going to do through the leaders in this church, through the people who are dedicated to you through this church, that we can come together as a people of God, working together in community for the sake of the gospel. Lord, we love you, and we surrender ourselves to you and say thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, as we're taking a moment and as you're about to go through offering, one of the things that we want to keep in mind is uh, some of the things that are happening in the church. And so... um, Some of the things that we want to keep in mind are our leadership ministry services. And so we have children's ministry that we have been uh, working forward with, thankfully to a team that's continuing forward. And for Vicki Bernard, who's been leading it along with other leaders in the necessary areas such as nursery, preschool and children's church. And I am very thankful that they have taken leadership and I'm very thankful that they have worked very hard And so what they want to do now is move forward and gather together on October 7th to discuss what we will be doing forward as a children's ministry. Um, And so we're going to gather together, have some food, of course. We would never let you come without some food. And we would also make sure that you would have an opportunity to hear from Vicki. Just meet me for once. If you haven't met me yet, it's just a short time of meeting me. But it's really about... The passion that Vicki and the team have to move forward with the children's ministry and how this will work alongside of the vision of the church. So it's important for us to move forward. Also, we're going to be doing Operation Christmas Child in a few short weeks. We're going to be talking about it. And the children are going to be taking offerings for the postage for the boxes. So we would love for you parents and grandparents that if you could... Make sure that the children go down with some jingling money, even some folding paper, and be able to go down and just drop in an offering because this is to assist children all around the world for this project of Operation Christmas Child. So we want to make sure that you're encouraged to do that. We have in our youth ministry, again, thankful so much for Eric Mandrabo and Christ the King Church working together to have a youth ministry for now. And we're thankful for the hard work that they've put together. They're, they're, I call these people kingdom troopers. And so they're doing a great job. And this evening, they're going to have a meeting from 6.30 to 8.30. And this will be at the Christ the King Church office building. It will be located on 25 Bloomfield Avenue in Denville, New Jersey. If you have any questions, if you have a GPS, you'll be able to get there for 6.30. Uh, feel free to contact Eric. If you know Eric, Eric, just wave your hand. He's the big, tall man, the big guy. All right, it's always good to have someone who's big and tall in the church. We need things like that and strong guys, so that's going to be helpful. You'll see later why that's helpful. And lastly, October 15th, the center. The center is a consulting group that is assisting us in this transition, and the leadership has come together and are working together to make sure that the surveys are being placed out. We're going to have a moment on October 15th during the gathering time that you'll have a survey to fill out. And we're looking to move forward. And the leadership is looking for all of us to move forward. And so we would encourage you to be there on October 15th. If you're not able to make it, 
between October 15th and 19th, if you could please stop by the church office and fill out the survey then. Uh, everybody's input is incredibly valuable. So we would encourage you to do so and be honest and transparent about that survey. So as we transition into the time to come together in the worship of the word, we're asking for our precious children to be dismissed. You are dismissed, lovely children. All right. As everyone looks at you as you're walking out. Awesome. Hey, nothing like having our precious children going on to their time together as we have our time together as well. As I mentioned before, we're reflecting today on a transition after I preach to go into a time of confession. So we'll, we'll kind of transition to that later. But you have received a card. If you have not received a card, please make sure that you get one before we go into that time of confession. And if you need one, I believe there's one in the back, just in the, in the foyer area on a table. So we want to make sure that everyone is prepared for this time because this is what we're encouraging everyone to go through in this transition. So as uh, we move forward, I um, wanted to uh, take this moment to discuss about community today. And it's important that we recognize that community is necessary in the body of Christ. In the last three weeks, we've been talking about the church. We've been talking about Mission Possible. We started three weeks ago with God, and we recognize that the church has to be established where God established it is it and then he sustains it and then he advances the kingdom but it's God it starts with God and the father and the son and the holy spirit and then we transition to the message which is the gospel we talked about the gospel and how necessary it is for the church to not just know that the gospel justifies the individual but sanctifies and ultimately glorifies and we need the gospel in our everyday living and then last week we talked about godliness and how important it is for us to focus on godliness, to be disciplined, to be fo focused on how important it is for us to be on a daily basis in the word of God, with God, spending time with him, confessing sin, because what sin does is it ties people up in the church, and then the church can't advance because people are not focused on godliness. And godliness is, is a discipline act, but godliness is necessary because God is the one who's doing the work in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so now we're coming to this place of the church mission possible, and we're talking about gathering. The ecclesia, the Greek word for gathering, is a gathering and assembling of people, but it's not usually mentioned as a spiritual gathering. It's a general word. But when Paul used it, he used it to share that the people needed to gather together. And so often what we do is we, we gather together here on Sundays but how often do we spend time together? I mean, I have to be honest with you, and I mentioned it to someone this morning. When I would disciple people over and over and over again, I would tell them, hey, I'm not going to have a chance to talk to you on Sunday, just so you know. So if I don't say hello to you or if I quickly say hello to you, we'll talk next week when we have our time together. You may think, well, wait a minute, isn't that a little bit strange? No, it's not because we only have an hour together. It's only one meal of the week. I need more meals than one, as you can tell. And so one meal or two meals or three meals is just not going to cut it. 
But when I go to spend time with someone and disciple them or disciple a potential leader, I spend more time than just 15 minutes or half an hour. I'm with them throughout the week, talking to them, texting them, spending quality time with them. And that's important because a gathering is not just meeting on Sunday morning. Gathering is meaning much more than that. And then you might say, well, I don't need much more than that, Bruno. It's not important to me. Okay, then that's good. That's where you're at. Or you might even say that I'm not interested in talking to that person. Okay, that's where you're at. But at least you need to get that out because we have to deal with that in reference to community because we'll never be able to advance as a church unless we're first willing to think about community. And so I want to encourage you that as you're looking at your bulletin and you're looking at the outline, I asked the question, what defines the community of believers? We know that the, the believers share a most important common bond, and it should be to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And also, it's one that should be in daily living And I want to encourage you as we look, we're going to a familiar passage that most would turn to about community, the old passage of chapter 2 of Acts. We're going to look at that. So if you could turn to your Bible this morning to chapter 2 of Acts, I want to encourage you because we need to work through that for a short bit of time here. But I want to bring your attention to verse 36 before we get to verse 42. And Peter right now in the background is preaching to Jewish people who are legalists, who are focused on trying to stop the group the way, the people who have come from the sect of what they would call Jesus the way, and they were trying to stop them from advancing. And we know in chapter 1 that Jesus gave them the directive in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 8, and then he went to ascend to be with the Father. And then Peter, James, and John, the three leaders, would advance and move forward. And then they had this particular ministry to deal with the Jews, who were at times violent and aggressive and wanted to get rid of these Christians. So Peter was bold. He proclaimed the gospel in chapter 2. But then he moves on forward in verse 36 and he said, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord Curios and Christ the Messiah. See, the Messiah, the incarnate Christ was one who came to save those who are far away from God, particularly the Gentiles. And so you have to understand in the mindset of an Israelite, when they look at a Gentile, they want one who is uncircumcised and unclean. And so when they look at a Gentile, they would never want to associate with a Gentile. But now Peter begins to talk to the Jews to prepare them before later we're going to find out that the Gentiles are going to be prepared later in the chapters of of the book of Acts because you have Samaria and Judea. And so what you're looking at here is that Peter's proclaiming to the Israelites that Jesus Christ is to be Lord. They were plotting to kill Jesus when he was on earth. The Sanhedrin didn't like Jesus. And every time they tried to plot to kill him, Jesus seemed to sneak away because it wasn't his time yet. But when it was his time, he told his disciples, I have to go. 
there's a time that's prepared for me to die a perfect death. And so, so Peter is speaking this and he says, this Jesus whom you crucified, they were yelling out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Isn't it funny that Peter denied him three times? And isn't it funny that people would say, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, Jesus is gonna die. But that's what he came for. He came to born, to suffer, and to die. That was the perfect, that was the purpose. He had to be the perfect death for the father. The father had a demand, it was called perfection, holiness. Jesus performed that action. He was perfect, the Messiah, and then he had to die because the wages of sin is death. Therefore, death had to happen, a perfect death. And Jesus had to be crucified. So when the Jews were crying out, crucify him, really what they were doing was helping along the plan. (laughs) So we don't realize that we think the enemy shouldn't help the plan of of, of the opposite team. But guess what? They were helping him. And Jesus had to be crucified for you and I. So when you and I were yelling, crucify him in our sin, it was a preparation for our salvation. Because before resurrection, he had to die. Before there's peace, you got to have war. Before there's joy, you got to have pain. You see, you can't have joy without the pain. Haven't got time for the pain. Remember that old song? All right, okay. Well, guess what? We're going to have to have time for the pain before we see joy comes in the morning. And see, it's important for us to understand this. So that's what defines, defining the true community of believers starts with the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's important because if you and I don't submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ, then we're going to have chaos. If you want to go this way and I want to go this way, are we going to go in the same direction? Can you imagine holding a, a rope and going, he, ho, he, ho, a tug of war. Or if one gives up and says, here, why don't you take the other end? Or better yet, why don't you just lead and I'll follow? And you just start going with them. And you submit. See, the submitting of the Lordship of Christ means we work together. And it's a beautiful picture of the church because it's a beautiful picture of the Father and the Son. The Son, though essence God in his nature, he was subordinate to the Father, not in essence, but in role. And so the subordination of the Son to the Father means that they worked well together. And that's the picture that the church needs to be for one another. So what is radical biblical community look like? Well, let's look at chapter 2 of Acts, verse 42. And as we're working through that, because we understand the message of the gospel, we're working through understanding the community. The first thing that we believe God defines community as life as is relational. So this is radical biblical community when we're relational. Look with me to chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. And we got to stop there. Because the teaching of the apostles was a Trinitarian gospel. You can't have gospel without the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father sent the Son, 
the son died, he said, I must leave that the spirit must come. The spirit takes residence in us as believers and carries out. The spirit is the agent working through us. But we can grieve and quench the spirit. So then what happens is then we begin to have disunity rather than community. When we submit to the lordship of Christ, lordship of Christ, Christ is with the spirit in the book of Acts. And there's a submission and then there's a movement that goes forward. That's what we see in the book of Acts. So it's important for us to understand that when you, have a, when you have this devoted work, you have it to the teaching, the gospel. Therefore, we understand a triune God, sending of the Son with the Spirit. We have a continual devotion towards this. The word in the Greek means this. It means to be persistent and persevering in something. Now, persistent is a lot of work. Persevering is even added more work. Most of the time here in the United States, we like convenience, not inconvenience. Whenever something becomes inconvenience, we think it's a problem. Whenever certain things are not done the way we want them, we call it a problem. I heard two people in the foyer this morning talking about something they thought was a problem in the bulletin. I'm not calling them out, but they were talking something, and they were saying something about there's something not right in the bulletin. And I heard over, overheard their conversation, and it went into a direction where, uh-oh, now are we closing, the, are we closing the, the doors of the church now because of that? Now, why is that the case? Because we get our minds thinking, if something's not the way it's always been, we should close the doors. Sounds silly, but that's the way churches work today. But if we don't have the unity of the Spirit of God working together, then it's best for us to understand that we need to submit and be a part of the solution, not the problem. And it's important for us to be devoted. So they were devoted and persisting to do what? Devoted to the teachings. Devoted to surrendering to Christ. Devoted to fellowship, koinia, which means a shared common bonds. What is the greatest common bonds for believers? Their fellowship centralized in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The word means close association involving mutual interest and sharing, an association, communion, fellowship, and close relationship. It means communication. It means one of the breakdowns in churches today is miscommunication. The one thing that's breakdown in all relationship is miscommunication. You see a husband and wife that are having a spat, it's because of miscommunication. You, that's why you said that, because you don't think I can do it. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I promise I didn't. Yes, you did. That's why you intimated that I couldn't do it, because you don't think I'm the man. Well, I'm the man. Now, you guys are laughing, but those conversations can happen in a relationship. It wouldn't happen in a church because people are afraid to hurt each other's feelings that quickly. But when it's a close relationship, it seems like that could happen. But koinia is communication that works well together. Bonding together in the person and work of Jesus Christ, submitting to the lordship of Jesus. And so it's important. So here's my thought here on your outline. The content is not just what we know, but something we must be devoted to. Secondly, in other words, don't tell me what you know, but show me what you know. Too often we want to tell people what we know, but wouldn't it be great if a people of God would work together to show me what you know? If you know Jesus is Lord, then show me that you submitted to the Lordship of Christ. Lastly there, your relationships with the people of God will only go as far as your relationship with God. This is an important point because intimate interaction and mutual acceptance 
doesn't mean that we like the same things, like the same foods, like the same football teams, like the same baseball teams, like the same backgrounds. You're from the north, I'm from the south. We like all the same things. A mutual interest and intimate interaction begins with God. And it goes further with these other two elements with the breaking of bread, which is a gathering together of eating food, but it also is intimating to the communion, which we'll be doing later. But it also is talking about prayer. See, we will only go as far as our relationship with God. If you and I are not spending time together and all we have is 60 seconds on a Sunday morning, community just can't happen. But if we take the moment to spend time together and be committed, then the sky's the limit. That's why we have life groups. That's why we have a gathering, a meeting together to work. That's why the leaders are working double and triple time. By the way, leaders even stepped it up today. There were my ushers this morning, and they stepped it up, and, and the elders, they step it up all the time. I ask them for something, they, they're saying, Bruno, what, what, what can we do? They're stepping it up double and triple time. Each one of you, we need help. And we're going to be talking about that in the next few weeks. And that's where community comes together. When we come together under the submitting of the Lordship of Christ, working together as a team. But prayer is the key. That's community's lifeline must be prayer. Prayer means dependency on God's direction. What's important is that the noun in Luke and Acts are used 12 times. It's used nine times in the book of Acts, the noun prayer. That's 75% of all that Luke wrote about. Luke, who is the author of both Luke and Acts, there's a verb, it was 34 times in Luke and Acts, it was used 16 times in Acts. So prayer was important in the inception of the church. Well, prayer is still important as we continue on in the 21st century. And we can't get away from that. But as we said last week, we must be vessels desiring to be godly so that we can move together in prayer. So we will bring that emphasis as well in our church. Prayer is coming. Us as leaders are praying right now. We have committed. We were on our knees the other night. We're going to continue to do so. We're asking everyone to get on their knees to pray for the church. And so it's important for us to move forward and thinking that this is how communication. So one, we have to have relational. That's what brings radical biblical community. Two, we have to be reverential. Now, in verse 43, we see this. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Actually, one particular version uses a reverential awe because that means fear when you fear God not to be afraid of him but you're in awe of his presence you're in awe of who he is you're in awe of his of when you're praying and seeking and chasing after God you're in awe of what he's doing in your life and then you're moved every day and saying I want to be in community with others because when you're in community with God you will want to be in community with others and so it's important for us to understand that this word that came from signs and wonders was in chapter 2 of Acts, verse 22. Let me refer back to it. Peter said, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. You know, when Jesus performed a miracle, it would only bring attention to his deity. So when someone saw his work... They would bring it, he would bring attention to the Father. 
Peter is speaking the same thing here. Now the people of God are together through the power of the Holy Spirit, the inauguration of the church. Jesus, they submit to the Lordship of Christ. The signs and wonders are happening. All of a sudden we see miracles happening because it points back to Jesus. Do you know that word miracle in the Greek is dunamis? Do you know where we get that word from? Dynamite. That's the word we use. That's what it is, dynamite. It's a dynamite power. It's explosive. When the people of God are submitting to the Lordship of Christ, surrendering, working together, all working, not tugging, he, ho, but saying, hey, you take the lead, I'm following. And surrendering. Because it starts with God. We will only go as far with our people and the people of God as far as we go with God. It's important that we revere God. Signs and wonders. So let me ask you a question. When were you in awe of God last? When was the last time you said, wow, Lord, I'm in awe of you? Because guys, if we don't become awe of God, we're never gonna be able to advance. This is so key. Let me just share something in your your outline here. See, when we trust God, we trust others and the church thrives. When we trust God, but we don't trust others, the church survives. When distrust comes towards others, we really distrust God and the church dives. Not dies, dives. Guys, you can't tell me, and I can't say this either, so all of us, we can't say we trust God, but we can't trust our brother and sister in Christ. If God can take his enemies to yell out, crucify him, and that's exactly what he needed to do, Jesus needed to die, then we can trust God to do a work in each one of us. Because you might be saying, I just can't trust this person in this church. They've hurt me too much. I can't trust this other person. I walk in this room and I just can't be in this room anymore. But I trust God. You can't do both. When God begins to work in your heart, then all of a sudden the trusting God becomes trusting others. And that's what's key. It's a process. It's not instantaneous, guys. It's a process. Nor am I sharing this to say that you're supposed to immediately trust. I trust God. I trust God. I'm not saying that because it's a process. Because pain is surreal and you can't force it out. You got to work with it. God wants to heal us. I've gone through periods of times in my life where I tried to force the pain out and God said, no, I'm using this pain to make you more like my son. And I had to stop. God wants to use the pain in this church so that we can be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. But we have to submit. Today, you'll have an opportunity. We're gonna bring the cross in front. You'll have the opportunity to say, God, help me. That's a great place to start. In fact, that's the only place to start.
So I want to encourage you that it's important. Third, we need to be redemptive. We need to be gracious. The core element of God's redemptive love demonstrates that God sent his son while man was a sinner. God demonstrated his love by this one. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In the Old Testament, covenant community, God commanded that there should be no one who is poor among them because a redemptive place means that if someone's left here poor, we need to take care of them. We can't try to advance without bringing everybody together. We must be a team. We've got to work together. And you guys as a church, as I've been observing, you've done a lot of that. And I want to encourage you to keep doing that. We have to do that collectively. As I'm a part of you now, we've got to work together to be gracious and redemptive and loving toward each other. And if you disagree with something, no problem. Share it, but do it lovingly. If you disagree with the way things are, no problem. Just share it lovingly, but not with vehemence, vigor or anger or aggression. Just share your heart. But graciously, we'll work it together because it's redemptive work. It's important for us to understand. See, in your worship there, when you give people a chance, you're giving God another chance. Secondly, being redemptive is standing in the gap for the unlovable, unreachable, and unforgivable. That's for the lost. And it's important that we understand that. I want to show you a clip here from a movie that's kind of funny. Christmas with the Cranks is um, a seasonal favorite for our family. But I love it because it has a message in there that can really encourage you. But Luther is played by Tim Allen. There is a community of people, if you've seen the movie, I'm just going to share it, where they take out their Frosties, they get all their Christmas stuff together, and Dan Aykroyd plays kind of like the leader of the community, makes sure everybody's doing it. Well, their daughter Blair decided to go out and to do the Peace Corps, and she went out for, and she wasn't going to be back for Christmas. So Tim Allen and Jamie Lee Curtis, they got together as husband and wife in this show, in this movie, and they decided to forget Christmas. Let's just go on vacation. Well, the community didn't like that. And they were knocking on their door, trying to get them to put the Frosty up. And they were hiding from them and trying to get away from them and doing whatever they could to do that. So what happened was, um, at the end, the daughter decided to come back out of the blue. So it was too late. It was only two days before Christmas. Jamie Lee Curtis, who's the mom, saying, that's it, we're going to do it. And then Tim's like just cranky. And the community decides what to do. So Tim's trying to get up on the on the uh, roof and he's trying to put frosty up but then fell off and here we are at this scene where the community decides whether be to be redemptive or not so let's put that video on for just a moment all right well here's the point someone sinned he said we're not doing it for luther we're doing it for blair why do we do what we do as community We do it for Jesus. It's not enabling anybody. When we say we do it for Jesus, we allow God to deal with that person. And we pray for grace for them. We are redemptive in our prayers. We don't pray for them to be dealt with. We pray for redemption. Fourth, we need to be restorational, hopeful. We got to live in community life. Sin breaks community. 
Today, sin can be disguised as mistakes and community life. Believers experience pain, trials, difficulties, and tragedies. But when believers are hurt from other believers, this could lead to isolationism and escapism. We can't allow it. We need to encourage people to be vulnerable and transparent. We need to encourage people to be accountable, to be authentic. This cannot this lead to what we call restoration. Man needs to confess and repent. That's when healing comes and restoration comes. This isn't a time for a church to start pointing out what everybody did. This is not a time to say, Luther, Luther, Luther. This is a time to say, okay, Jesus, 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 we need you. Lord, we need restoration. And we need you to come through. So God, please, we need you to do. See, in a restorative mindset, you don't see the person, you see God. In a restorative mindset, you're devoted to God, not to the person. See, that's the purpose. See, the purpose of the word of God and how it's been inspired, as we see in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17, is that the word of God has been established through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit being the author, for the purpose that whenever someone sins, what follows is correction. We don't rebuke someone without having intention to correct them. We don't call someone out for sin and not have a desire to see restoration. When you call someone out for sin, you're holding them accountable so they can be restored. You're not calling them out. God doesn't call you out or me or anyone else when we sin. He calls us out because he wants to make us more like his son Jesus. That's what the community needs to be radical. That's radical community. When we're redemptive and when we are restorational, that's radical. That's what these folks were doing look at verse 44 and 45 all who believed were together and all things in common verse 45 and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as all had need you know they didn't look and say well that person doesn't deserve it that one sinned oh i'm not going to give them anything i don't like them they were just like hey here's my stuff i give it to you it was a working together of community it was just like that picture of saying, forget about Luther. Let's get the job done. We're going to do this for Blair. Well, we're doing this for Jesus. That's what the first century church did. And this is what it did in verse 46, because the last one is radical. This is what radical looked like in verse 46. The fifth thing in a radical biblical community is being radical. And day by day, attending the temple together and the breaking in of their homes, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. In another version, it says continually devoted. The word in verse 46 in the Greek is the same word in verse 42. Continually devoted. And the word glad in verse 46 is a joy that derives from a work of God. It derives from them focusing on God. So they were glad, not because of the situation. They were glad because they had an awesome God who was doing miraculous works, signs and wonders to draw people together. Their focus wasn't on themselves or on the people. It was on God. And this is what happened. Praising God, verse 47, and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. You know the church will grow when you have true community. But you can't, and I can't, and any of us can, expect the church to grow if there's disunity. We trust God. We trust others. 
the church thrives. We trust God, but don't trust others. The church will survive. We distrust others. We're distrusting God, and the church dives. See, radical biblical community has to be relational. It has to be reverential toward God and others. It has to be redemptive. It has to be restorative. And ultimately, it's radical. That's what happens because you know why? The people of God, ultimately, you and I will never be a light to the world unless we get our community together. Last point here is this. What can you do to be radical in your local church community? What can you do? I say this. This is the first step. Watch it now. Here it comes. You ready? Submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's going to bring us all together. That's the Lordship in your life. If there's something in your area, in your life, that you haven't gotten together, if there's something that you're just not sure, you're just wondering and waiting, I want to encourage you, God wants to do a work in you, but you got to come clean. So you have a piece of paper there, and that piece of paper represents your page of where you can write down some sins that you're dealing with in your life. And it's important for us to understand that that piece of paper is important that we work together on this. So as two strong gentlemen are about to come up and help me move this cross over, what we want to do is we want to take this moment to reflect on what God's doing today. And I want to ask you if you could consider that. Because it's important that we have that idea of Eric's being one strong man and I'm going to be the other, but I'm going to give him the heavier the weight because he's stronger than me. Look at that. He's carrying the cross. And the idea is that we want to be able to focus on that. This is the cross. We're bringing it up before you. And so it's a beautiful cross, but it's a reminder of what Jesus did. Jesus died on a cross. He was nailed to the cross. He was nailed to the cross and it was sin, S-I-N. I didn't talk about sins yet, but sin. It was our position. When we were born into this world, we believed theologically that we were born into sin. But Jesus died and when we believe in Christ, he's changed our position from sinner to saint. You may not feel like a saint, but you were once a sinner, but now you're a saint. But now as saints, sanctified, we commit sins. And the Bible says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just, will forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what do we need to do? We just need to confess our sin. We just write it on a piece of paper. It's something about writing and looking at it and then folding it up and then coming up and just nailing it to the cross because when you nail it to the cross it's done even in our sanctification it's done we still have power in the blood and that's what we need that power in the blood so what we're going to do is we have some hammers here and a few nails and while you take a moment to reflect to ask God to reveal sin in your life 
we want you to not allow this moment to pass you. Come up, it's okay. No one's looking at you. But this is the cross. You're gonna grab a nail and you're gonna fold your piece of paper and you're gonna get a hammer and you're just gonna nail it to the cross.